Blog Talk Radio. I still can. I'll try to help my loved ones understand how memories can fly like grains of sand, and that I'll remember them while I still can. Well, hi, everyone. This is Lori LeBay, the host of Alzheimer Speaks Radio, and I hope you all had a wonderful Memorial Weekend. Here in Minnesota, we just kind of went through the highs and the lows of temperature and the rains. We've had over nine inches in May, and usually we have about three, so it's been, it's been kind of crazy around here. But uh, we're we're back to working again, and today we have a terrific show for you. But before we get into uh, information on our guests. For those of you that are new, I just want to explain what it is we do here at Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. And bottom line is we just believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering them to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. It's our hope to teach people how to live with the disease, not as the disease. Our channel expert, who has early onset, Rick Phelps. I'm never quite sure if he's going to join us or not, so if Rick is around, I will definitely pull him into the show. Rick was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease back in June of 2010, and he's the founder of Memory People on Facebook, which is a wonderful support group that is a closed group, um, but it has over 1,800 members all around the world. It's a group for people with early memory loss, their care partners, both family and professionals, as well as advocates. And if you haven't checked it out, I highly encourage you um, to just put in memory people in the search box on Facebook and ask to join. It's full of wonderful, wonderful resources and support. Um, We know here at Alzheimer's Speaks Radio that this isn't just a disease about Alzheimer's, it's about dementia in general. It's something that's in the same bowl, and we have to work together. We're all about being collaborative, and we feel if we work together, we can really shift caregiving from crisis to comfort by sharing our knowledge, insights, passions, and we we really do encourage you to join us in this mission. You might be the next voice that we need to hear, so feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts or comments or questions, and As we go live in the show here, you can always use your chat box um, and communicate with me if you've signed in via Facebook, or you can call into the show live at 714-364-4757. Again, that number is 714-364-4757. And when you call in, you'll just have to push one, and then you'll get into my waiting room. And I'll pull you into the conversation as soon as there's a break. So to start here today, I am going to introduce Tom Sweeney. He's our guest today, and he's the Executive Director of Visiting Hours, which is an assisted video chat company. Tom and his family moved to Minnesota from Connecticut back in 1993 when Tom was recruited to launch a national home improvement magazine and website for the North America American Media Group. He helped build the publication to a million paid um, subscribers 
and club members and nearly 400,000 online users. He first was uh, served as chief editor and executive director and then as publisher. Later, Tom worked in healthcare publishing for the Minnesota Physician Publishing and then for MedCityNews.com. Tom began working with elderly as a befriender, as he calls it, more than 10 years ago. In the beginning, he would merely just go visit people on weekends as a volunteer. Later, he'd bring along his guitar or fiddle and entertain nursing home and assisted living residents with traditional Irish tunes and songs. Occasionally, his dog would tag along, too. We might think of it as music therapy or pet therapy, but Tom just did what came naturally to him. In December of 2010, Tom began to bring his laptop computer, an Internet hotspot, to enable people to video chat with their families. That was the beginning of visiting hours. He has been devoting um, himself full-time to the visiting hours service since January and officially established it as a nonprofit um, just this April. So welcome, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm really excited about your business because I just think it is, you know, it's the age of technology and I think it can work wonders. So can you give us a little bit more um, detail, um, just kind of background into your life? Have you personally ever been touched by Alzheimer's or dementia with family or friends or, or was it more just through your volunteer work? You know, I've been fortunate. I have not had to uh, deal with dementia in my own family. My sister's mother-in-law um, has Alzheimer's, um, but as far as my own family, I haven't. I'm sorry to say cancer has taken everyone in my family, have not had to deal with, with dementia in the family. But I've been, as you said, I've been volunteering with the elderly for um, over 10 years, and um, many of the uh, people that we work with now with visiting hours have memory issues. So that was really my introduction to dementia and so forth, is working with some of my clients who are dealing with memory issues. Okay, great. Well, can you tell us a little bit more? I know that you brought your computer along, and this kind of just sounds like it just kind of happened. And um, But can you tell us a little bit more, you know, how how this all transpired and what really sparked your interest? What did you see that made you think, this is really a need? Sure. Well, I grew up in Rhode Island and never lived near family after college and have two daughters, and so they were not living near their grandparents and so forth either. And um, my brother and sister lived in Rhode Island, so as my own parents got older, they were were there for my parents, and and I couldn't be. And um, first my mother died, and then uh, my my father was ill, and... uh, decided that I would start volunteering with the elderly here in Minnesota since I couldn't be with with them in Rhode Island and um, started visiting people and as you said you know then brought instruments along and did a little performing and brought the dog along but um, back in 2007 my brother was diagnosed with bile duct cancer and uh, Roger had been a letter carrier very healthy all of his life um, walked for a living and uh, uh, when he was diagnosed, I bought him a webcam, and we started video chatting, um, my brother in Rhode Island, myself here in Minnesota. 
And uh, he died three months later, a month after surgery at Mass General. And I looked back at the time that we spent uh, video chatting and realized that we probably had more great conversations during that three-month period than we had our entire adult lives because we were able to sit down and, and just see each other and talk and ask questions and answer questions. And um, because I had been doing this visiting in the nursing homes and assisted living for over 10 years, I had that experience with video chatting and said, well, I could start delivering people's families um, via video chatting. All the time I spent visiting people in assisted living and nursing homes, I see that many people don't have many visitors. And I said, well, this would be a way to deliver their families. So we, we started doing it. Very interesting. I, I just um, I think that that's so precious, and and what you said about just having those true conversations um, that are just so critical um, when someone is ill. I think it's very very important. Um, based on your experience with visiting ours, can can someone with Alzheimer's or dementia really participate effectively in this whole video conferencing? Well, I only know from my personal experience, I don't have medical training, but what I've observed is that uh, the people we've worked with who have memory issues, um, I would say that they're not severe, and they certainly recognize their family members and so forth, um, that not only are they able to, but in a way they thrive on it. There's a certain focus you get from sitting in front of a monitor um, and um, you know seeing your loved ones um, on the computer and you're talking and they're talking and you can see each other instantly and how, how people are reacting. So what I've found is that my uh, clients get drawn into the conversation. In a way, the technology becomes transparent. I don't even, they're not thinking about I'm sitting here in front of a computer, I'm using Skype or Apple FaceTime or whatever. They're just visiting with their family. And uh, because they're processing, processing everything in the moment, they're very um, they're very engaged. I've had sessions with four generations from a family on simultaneously in multiple locations. And my clients who have memory issues, have Alzheimer's, they were totally engaged in what was going on. Oh, very neat. That's that's very neat. You know, my mom is in her, her end stages, and I, you know, even with that, she she doesn't talk much. But, again, the voices. I think would trigger some things. You know, we really can't tell how much she can really see uh, all that well. But there's so many different variables that come into play, and it might end up being somebody's giggle that triggers a moment for her. Um, it right. might not be necessarily a phrase or a word, um, but I would think, you know, for her, in my experience and others that I've seen. Um, again, depending on what people's expectations are going in, um, again, that they they could um, easily connect um, through this. They might not be able to show it as easily, but I, I believe that there would be um, definite possibility of an awakening kind of um, within them from my own, yes. my own experience. It's true, and one of the things that we often do is is called screen sharing. Um, even people who use Skype to video chat, many of them we find don't understand that you can share the screen on your computer with the other computer. So we might have a daughter who lives in California, 
and um, just came back from a graduation and so forth and has some photographs from the graduation, she can use screen sharing to then show her mother, who has who has uh, memory issues, show her the pictures and then narrate the slideshow live. Um, also can show, show videos and that sort of thing. Um, many times uh, clients are showing old pictures, so if there are pictures from when an older person was a child, suddenly we can put those on the screen and then the daughter or the son or the grandchild can be asking questions about those older photos. And sometimes that's a point of engagement as well. Well, and it's interesting what we find out about some of those photos that we may not have um, had the opportunity to learn about, you know, if we didn't put it in that format. I, I talk a lot about, you know, when my great my dad's um, aunts passed away, my great aunts, we ended up with like three rainbow boxes full of photos, and we didn't sure. go through them with my parents early enough. And I went through them and went through them, and I hated to throw them away, um, but some of them I had to because I just, you know, I, I talked to everybody I could. Our family is small, and I didn't have history, so I didn't, I didn't really know are they relatives or aren't they. Um, but the, there were a few in there that we ended up pulling out with my folks that had some great storylines, but the majority of them we didn't go through and really sure. talk about. And um, just to be able to see the joy and them kind of reliving the moment and then allowing that history to be passed on is, is powerful, powerful stuff. So very yeah. neat. We so realized that early on that preserving history was an important part of the service that we were providing. So we added something called keepsake uh, videos. So while we're um, doing a video chat session, we can record the session and we can record it with just the image of the of the older client or the image or the side by side images of both parties and uh and the audio and so uh, after we make the recording we then can um add a title do a minimal amount of editing add a title and credits add a, a background music track of the person's favorite music and then download it onto a DVD for the family so it's a way if you are running through pictures say forth that we can also record them telling the stories of who was in the picture and what it meant to them and so forth. Oh, that's cool. I was going to ask if if uh, it was possible to record them. Oh, what a great thing to be able to have. That's very that's a, that's really cool. And what we found that. is when someone's in a video chat session, they're sitting in front of a computer and they're looking at the other person, you know, and the the camera's on uh, transmitting their image. Um, if you're recording through the same device, it's not like asking someone to sit in front of a video recorder, turning on the camera, and asking them questions. That can be daunting for people, even in, in good health. Uh, with this, they're just having a conversation. So often what we'll do is we'll have a, a grandchild or even a great-grandchild ask someone questions about their childhood, uh, first jobs, um, service in, you know, in the military, things like that. And uh, it's like they're having a conversation with their with their granddaughter, um, so it works out very well. There's no stress; it's very natural, and they're always looking at the camera because they're looking at the monitor. Wonderful. Well, Rick is um, on the chat box right now. Rick Phelps with um, Memory People, and he just got home, and he said, "Oh, this is so fantastic!" And Rick does a, a daily video um, that you know he's kind of 
<clears throat> just recording his life and, and what's going on, and so he just thinks this is absolutely wonderful. So he's probably going to call in here shortly, um, but he wanted to, to say hi to you and, and to keep up the good work there. So, um, Tom, do you have some specific advice for families who want to do video chat with a loved one who has Alzheimer's or dementia? Well, again, it's only from personal experience, but I've found that um, the more you can simplify things, the better. So eliminating background uh, noise, making sure you know the television and radio is off. If there's a private setting, that's better. One of the things we do with video, uh, with visiting hours, is we go into the person's apartment or room and we set up this um, session there rather than out in a common area. Mm-hmm. That provides some privacy for the family and and for the client as well. So if you um, if you have uh, good lighting on the face rather than backlighting, if you eliminate other sounds that, uh, that could be distracting, uh, that's helpful. And we've also found that um, having sort of a chain or a series of contacts works best. So we start usually with the daughter, and once the daughter is talking with the, um, with, let's say, the parent, then the daughter will introduce her ch- children so then it'll be a grandson or a granddaughter uh, on the line, and then the granddaughter will then bring in a great-grandchild. So it seems like that passing the torch from um, through the generations helps people stay on track. Oh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to pull Rick into the conversation here. Um, how are you doing, Rick? I'm doing good, Lori. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Glad you can join us today. I think this is so exciting what Tom is doing here. Oh, it is. Here. It, abs- it absolutely is. I, I just uh, I was running a little late this morning, and I caught, I hurry up and turned your program on, and, and uh, this video conferencing, or I'm not sure what he calls it, but it, it, it absolutely is uh, fantastic. Wonderful. Um Tom, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what someone could expect in a video conference? What is it like um, logistically? You had talked about, you know, getting, um, having it be private. Um, it, do people kind of script things out, or is this really casual? Um, how does it how does it work? Well, uh, from the beginning, we have contact with the family and let's say it's the daughter who says I would like to video chat with with my mother. We get the daughter's um, either Skype address or if she's a, uh, an Apple person and uses an iPad or an iPhone um, or a, a Mac computer uh, we get her uh, FaceTime address or if she's a Google person likes to use Google Hangouts we get her Gmail address and her Google Plus address so that we can connect. Then we create an account for um, the parent or the the client here. Um, so when she logs on to Skype or whatever, she would see her mother's address right there. Uh, so it's a regular reminder. And then the family says, I would like to video chat with my mother at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So we go to the location, whether that's a private home or it's an assisted living or a memory care facility or whatever, and with a laptop computer, a MiFi internet access and and a trained facilitator. Uh, after logging in, we go to the person's room and set up the the session. We get the relative online, and we optimize the the sound and the lighting and so forth to make sure it's as good as it can be. And um, we get them started, and then we leave the room usually for half an hour while they while they chat. If they like us to stay there, we certainly can. 
and if there's any technical difficulty, we come back into the room and, and resolve that, although it's, it's seldom a problem. And then they just have a visit like they were visiting face-to-face. There's really no difference. Um, if we're doing group video conferencing, now it's multiple locations, and the only difference with that is um, depending on the, the video chat software you're using, um, either the, the frame of the picture of the person who's talking lights up or the person who's talking moves to the bigger screen on the top, the bigger box on the top. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge with group video conferencing is to train people to not talk over each other because it can only, it can only handle one voice at a time. Okay. So they just talk for half an hour, and then we come back in and we shut down the session and go and, and do it for someone else. Okay. Have you studied the impact of your visiting hours on the people that it serves? Well, you know, I, when I, I started, I did this for a year as a volunteer at no cost and so forth, and um, I had approached Ecumen, which is a large senior housing and senior services um, company here, and asked them if, if I could do a pilot program with them. So we, we did a six-month pilot program with Ecumen at their Lakeview Commons facility in Maplewood, Minnesota. And the deal was I'll, I'll provide the service for free to anyone who wants it for six months, but I'd like you to benchmark all the people and then you know, tell me if it improves their quality of life or health or whatever. And so mm-hmm. they did that, and um, 75% of the people that we worked with showed improved outcomes on the criteria that were meaningful to them. I said, I'm not a healthcare professional, so you tell me what the what the criteria would be. And you know, they said, well, we would love to see people more engaged in activities here. We would love to see people eat better. We would love people to be, just generally be happier or have fewer negative behaviors and so forth. And so they rated everyone, and um, and it showed improvement. I wouldn't say it was a scientific study, um, but it, it gave me hope that what I thought was the case actually was is the case, that it, it makes people happier. And I can certainly see that. I mean, I have a client who uh, is 88 years old, and she has Alzheimer's, and her family lives far away. And she was on a session not long ago with with four generations and so forth. And when her two-year-old great-granddaughter came on the screen and so forth, I mean, all she could say over and over again is, you're so adorable. She leaned into the computer. She wrapped her arms around herself and just said, I I just want to hug you. You know, you're so adorable. And then after she said, this is the happiest day I can remember. And, you know, this was video conferencing. This was not her granddaughter coming from California, a great-granddaughter coming from from California to visit her personally. This was just a video chat session. But, you know, I think we made that woman's day that that day. That's very cool. That's very cool. And, again, sometimes we get so hooked up that we have to be there in person, and we, we don't. We're, we're so much more than just a body. You know, we're, we're a voice and we connect on so many different levels that it's very important to, to understand the impact that we have um, yeah. with one another. That's very, that's a, I have, sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I have realized how important it is to be able to see the other person, even if it's on video, um, mm-hmm. rather than just the sound, though, because the difference with my brother, being able to see him and talk and say something and see him laugh, so forth. Um, 
you know, you get a lot out of watching someone and looking at the environment as well. And that's one of the things that, you know, with um with distant relatives that while we're there, if they want to like show me the show me the home, show me the apartment, show me the room, you know, you can get a sense of context even if you're not there. Um show me the refrigerator, you know. Uh we can mm-hmm. we can certainly do all that. We also stream events, so I have I've had clients um who um well, I had a couple I worked with, and the, the woman was um, 95, and the husband was 99. The husband died, and her brother, her last living brother, was not able to come to the service, so we were able to stream the service. So it was as though her brother was sitting, who's 88 and lives in Montana, was sitting right alongside of her uh, at the service, and, and they were able to visit and so forth, so... yet another dimension. Wow. Well, it really is endless on on how you can help people through, and and these times are so so important um, to be able to connect. And and I I do agree. I think uh, the video, um, uh, you know, is is definitely above uh, just the voice. Um, And and doctors are proving that now, too, with their video conferencing um, with people in terms of, well, show me, you know, show me your bruise, <laughs> show me your sore, sure. your your rash, or whatever it might be. They're coming from a whole different angle, but the importance of being able to not only hear that giggle, but see it on somebody's face, um, and that twinkle in their eye, or somebody hugging themselves and expressing that. I mean, that's just so precious. And then to be able to to video, um, you know, record that on top. And to be able to capture that moment, I mean, that that's just a very, very neat thing. Now, um, I understand that you use college interns and sometimes some high school volunteers to facilitate. Can you tell me why you chose to, to work with the youth on this? Sure. Well, our mission is to bring families and generations closer. And so the video chatting itself brings the families closer, and because much of the video chatting happens with grandchildren. We're, we're helping different generations within families uh, to connect. But um, by using facilitators for every session, we send a person to the location. By using uh, young people as those on-site facilitators, then they're actually having live interaction with a younger person. So we think that's very good for the younger person, and we, we think it's good for the for the older person as well. And so we sort of double down on the intergenerational aspect of our service by using youth volunteers. Also, they they tend to be very tech savvy. So um, for some of our middle-aged clients to say, well, you use Skype, yes, have you ever used um, screen sharing? I don't even know what that is. Or uh, with the younger people, they video chat all the time. They know exactly how to use it. and we can actually use the younger people as well in making these keepsake DVDs because they do so many video projects for school now that it's very easy for them to say, oh, tell me what music track you want added and give me the the text file for the lab- for the title and so forth, and they can e- easily do that. Um, so they're, you know, the young people in high school are looking for meaningful volunteer activities, um, you know, if for no other reason because they want that on their resume when they're applying to to good colleges, um, and the people in college are looking for clinical experience. Uh, we work with um, St. Catherine University in St. Paul, 
Um, we've met with them twice now about starting an internship in the fall. The idea would be to have nursing students, occupational therapy students, physical therapy students, um, psychology um, students, and communication students serving as on-site um, interns and facilitators. So they'll get the clinical experience of working with that population that they otherwise wouldn't have, and we get the use of people who are, have a future in um, in healthcare. You know, the baby boomer population is getting older, so uh, it's really important that we teach younger people to care about uh, older people and to relate to them. Some of the high school students we work with, the advisors tell me, well, these students might feel awkward about if you ask them to go in and sit with an older person and just visit for an hour. That might be difficult for them. But when you ask them to go in, use their technology skills, enable the client to visit with their own family, um, that's something they're very, very capable of doing. Some of the programs we work with are saying, we've always wanted to get young people more involved as volunteers, but we've never had the hook to to excite them about working with our population, we think that this technology angle is a great way to do that because they're so comfortable with technology. Oh, it's it's a beautiful platform, and you know, gives them some pride and some expertise. And um, yeah, I just think it's it's a it's a very very neat <clears throat> neat way to uh, to connect the generations because it is it is extremely important. Um, that we have to make that shift, and you know, it 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 always can't be paid for. I was at a, a meeting where they were doing brainstorming, and they're like, "Well, we'll give incentives, and we'll do this, and we'll do that." And you know, my belief is is I mean, if you have to pay someone to be involved, um, they're they're not totally connected. You know, are they there for the check, or are they there for the service? And there's a huge difference between the two. And if you can sure. get people connecting because, uh, you know, even if it is going to further their career and look good on their grades, um, I, I still think that connection is going to be made. And um, and, and I think that that's just a, a massively huge thing because they're going to they're gonna feel the difference in their hearts of what they're making. And like you, you've been volunteering for 10 years. That's just awesome. That's so cool. You know, not everybody does that. Um, but you must do that because you get something out of it. It's not just a one-way street. And I, I think that that's something that is very overlooked in our country that we think we, you know, because we label it caregiving, um, that we're just, you know, giving our time and giving ourselves and we're not getting anything back. And to me, there's just massive rewards in terms of giving. You cannot not get back. You know, it's not a one-way yeah. street. That was probably one of the surprises. Um, I did this really for the older clients, you know, because they were not getting visited. And I have a philosophy of, you know, I never try to change people. I just try to adapt to their habits and to what they're already doing. How can I use that to accomplish my goals? And my goal was to get more people to visit um, visit their elderly relatives and um you know, there's nothing I can do to get them to take the time, spend the money to travel and visit them on a regular basis. But they're already using social media. They're already using video chatting maybe to to Skype with their own children who are away in college um, or with their own grandchildren. And so if I could just reintroduce um, the the isolated elderly person back into that circle, suddenly these, these visits would happen. And uh, 
So, you know, there are there are programs that try to get you to go onto their portal and log on with a user ID and all of that. And our approach is very different in that we're just saying whatever wherever you are, uh, whatever you're using right now, whether it's Apple FaceTime or Google Hangouts or Skype, we will put your grandmother, grandfather, um, great uncle, whomever, we'll put them on that platform so that you can visit with them. And, uh, you know, so they're part of your life again and they're not forgotten. Um, we make it so easy for the family and we make it easy for the facilities if there is a memory care facility or assisted living or whatever. Uh, because we arrive with the MiFi internet connection and the laptop computer um, and the volunteer, there's there's no burden on the facility. There's no burden on the facility's bandwidth for their own IT department uh, or on the staff or on the resident or on the family. We do everything for them. Well, and I like that because, like you said, so many platforms, they're they're reaching for somebody. Join me, join me, sign up here, sign up here. And, and it's just one more thing. You know, and pretty soon we have all these applications and it just it gets complicated. So when you can integrate into somebody's life and just make this simple and and even just like you said, okay, now grandma's name is in their address book and it's going to pull up every time they go to Skype or whatever system they're using. Um, they're going to be reminded that they can have that connection, um, even if it has to be orchestrated if she doesn't have a computer. But again, I think over time all of that you know, will change too um, with the boomers as they, they come aboard. Um, but to be able to have have someone to be able to coordinate that with is just, um, it, you know, it's it's not only good for the person with dementia, but it's, I, I can't imagine um, some of the comments that you get from family and how that makes them feel. Right. Can well, you, they, you know, you they have, say it's the next best thing to being there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, families carry such great guilt, especially when they can't be around. And so, um, you know, if you can, if you can help alleviate that, and not only get rid of the guilt, but make connections, um, true connections, um, uh, that's just that's just absolutely incredible. Rick, did you have any comments? I didn't want to ignore you there. No, no, you're not. I was just. This is a fantastic uh, conversation. I know, uh, Lori, as you know, I've used uh, uh, groups. Skype support meetings for for several months now, and they've just worked out wonderful. But but what I'm getting off of uh, Tom is is fantastic because he's absolutely right. I know dozens and dozens of people on on memory people are are, are not computer literate. They're just not, and, and a lot of our members um, they don't post anything. They just read, but they get a wealth of information. Now, can you imagine these people, just like he said, being able to take advantage of his his service? Mm-hmm. Um, we've Skyped with, I couldn't even tell you how many people all over the world. And uh, my goal is, when I get on Skype with somebody that I've never met, but they know me from memory people, um, there's, there's such a, um, I don't know, there's just a, uh, a thing there that, that you, you, you're with that person and and every every problem they have right then and there goes away. I mean it doesn't long, it doesn't last obviously, but I mean uh, it's one on one and uh, 
they just enjoy it so much. Me and Falls June just uh, Skyped with a lady from Venezuela the night before last, you know, and that's a you know a communist country, and mm-hmm. uh, but it, it was great. And uh, this is what he's doing is going to open up doors for 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 people in nursing homes that's incapable of doing something like that. And like he said, the the staff and and the people there, the IT, you know, that it doesn't involve them at all, and it's just absolutely. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's you know, I would add that in some of the facilities where we work, they actually have systems in place where, in theory, a resident could Skype with their family. But the mm-hmm. fact is it's hardly ever used. And the f- philosophy is mostly, well, we'll teach you how to use it, and then you can do it on your own. And, you know, my background is publishing and digital media and so forth, and it's not difficult for me to overcome um, technology issues with Skype or whatever to make sure we have a good session. But um, if the technology starts getting in the way of the visit, then it's very right. easy for a good thing to become a very bad thing. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, and right. so it's, it's a tremendous benefit to the family for them to know there's going to be no burden placed on my mother or father. It's going to be stress-free. All we have to wor- think about is visiting and what do we want to talk right. about or what pictures do we want to show, that sort of thing. The technology will all be taken care of for them, and it's it's wonderful peace of mind. Oh, absolutely. If, when you're dealing with, with uh, dementia or Alzheimer patients in a facility, you're usually dealing with someone that's in the later stages. You're talking about somebody that, that can't pick out their socks, let alone deal with technology. So you're absolutely right. A stress-free is just just perfect. You know, all they got to do is be there. And sooner or later, they're going to see the light in their eyes. You know, that person's going to recognize them. There's going to there's going to be a connection, and you're also creating memories for for the younger ones. You know, sure. it's just it's just fabulous. Now, do you ever get um, any like cutting out with uh, using Skype? Because I know when I use Skype, every now and then the connections, you know, can. But it but it usually isn't for long, and it's easy to to reengage it. Do you get much of that? Probably well, it depends on the yeah. It depends on the quality of the connection. So when I'm using a MiFi, sometimes it's on 4G and sometimes it's on 3G. So certainly mm-hmm. 4G is a is a better connection than uh, than 3G. We're, mm-hmm. we're more likely to have a problem if we're on a 3G MiFi connection with group Skype than if we're just doing a one-on-one. The, the one-on-one, even with a 3G connection on a MiFi, usually is is uh, is fine. And what's a MiFi versus a Wi-Fi? Okay, a MiFi, you know, I, I have it through my um, cell phone carrier, so I have an iPhone, and I also have another device called a MiFi. It's a mobile hotspot, and with this device, which is password-protected, um, you can put up to four devices or four computers online simultaneously within not a big range, but within 100 feet, let's say. Okay. And so um, I can go into a facility with um, with my MiFi, and I can use that to get both my iPhone and my, um, my laptop um, online. And depending on where it is, it would be a 4G, a faster connection, or a 3G, a slower connection. But they're both high-speed connections. Yeah, and there's so it would be something you get through your phone, through your cell phone company, and. Uh, okay, and there isn't a ton of 4G connections in in relation to. I mean, really, what's out there is my understanding. They all talk about it, but 
it doesn't sound like there are really a lot of physical places that actually have that that high level connection. Is that accurate? Well, actually, or? in the t- in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, where where we provide the service, quite a few areas are 4G. If mm-hmm. I'm getting out into the second ring suburbs, uh, nursing homes or assisted living homes out there, then we're more likely to be on on 3G. Mm-hmm. And you know, not all 4G is created equal either. And you know, some <laughs> some 4Gs are faster than others. And uh, uh, and it would be nice if, if all the facilities said, well, here's our password, and you can just use our bandwidth and so forth. But one of my biggest challenges with visiting ours is um, is the whole um, HIPAA regulations for privacy that, um, you know, a facility is not even allowed to tell me that a, a resident has um, Alzheimer's, for instance. facility is not allowed to just give me the, the telephone number and email address of the adult daughter of one of the residents. And so it's sort of a two-step process to identify the adult children to contact them and 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 offer them the opportunity to video chat with their with their um loved ones. So the facilities tend to uh, include our brochures with their marketing materials for new residents and then uh, when they're talking to families they'll they'll mention it and so forth, but it's it's um it certainly has been a challenge to to reach more people that way. It might be nice if, if uh, and you know, if they're really behind this, is to give you a little spot in the newsletters because most of them have newsletters that go out to the family, and just yes. do a little a little highlight um, of it. But I know that they all get pretty paranoid with HIPAA, and I understand that that law is there to protect. But I mean, even when I do, uh, you know, I do a lot of <clears throat> webinars and things, and there's a lot of companies that, um, you know, they'll log in to see the webinar, but they won't invest $25 in a web camera. And, you know, because there's this fear of how it might be used wrong. Um, or, you know, I, I just, and I think it's the whole technology thing of, you know, how is this going to work? And, um, you know, a few years ago, it was even, they didn't want to take pictures. They didn't want to take digital pictures of people. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of, you know, we've got to stop just calling family when there's a problem. We have to start spreading the joy. So capture them when they're happy. <laughs> you know, send sure. them a picture. And um, don't always call when, you know, a medication was screwed up or someone got a bump or a bruise. And um, But there's just this. Um, it's just how we've been built here in the U.S. Um, we're just very paranoid, and you know we're very uh, worried about litigation and you know following the rules. And um, and and again, I think all that stuff is important. So I don't want to hate mail on this, but I, I think we really have to focus on this true, you know, person-centered care, which gets to the core of you know. Are they happy? Are they safe? Are they pain-free? You know, and how can we deliver that to them? And this is a wonderful, wonderful medium um, to to do that. Um, definitely. We we think that collaboration is is very important to the growth of visiting hours. Um, and so, working with um, groups like Metro Meals on Wheels here in the Twin Cities or Little Brothers Friends of the Elderly. Um, who have similar missions uh, of working working with with isolated people, and so um, the ability to help them get off to a good start with their relationship is something that we can do. 
So imagine that you have caregivers either going into someone's home or going into assisted living or whatever, or that's the staff at the assisted living home or memory care or whatever. And I'm, I'm trying to think about if, if my own parents had been in a facility or having home care and I would want to have a relationship with the person who's going into my mother's home, that sort of thing. Well, what we offer is um, when you have the caregiver going to the, the client's home for the first time, we will have a visiting hours facilitator there simultaneously to get the adult children um, on a group video conference so the adult children can then meet the caregiver and everyone's in the room at the same time. So if, let's say, the mother has a question, the mother asks the question, everyone hears the question, everyone hears the answer, and then basically everyone gets on the same page. But most important, there's a we help those partner agencies develop rapport with the families so they get off to a good start with whatever service it is that they're providing. Those first sessions are free, so there's there's no downside for it. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Um, have you um, you know have you thought about franchising and things uh, this concept? Yeah, I certainly have, and um, you know we, we I established an LLC last December in part because one of the major hospital systems wanted to meet with me, and I at that point I was just a volunteer doing this for the past year, so I I started the LLC because it was quick. Uh, have since moved to the nonprofit um, uh, organization, and we think that that will open up many more doors um, uh, to work with with uh, with companies. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, and now, is there a cost with the service, and and um, you know, how does that work? Sure. Well, it was interesting when I started the LLC. The Wall Street Journal had contacted me, and um, they said, well, we'd like to do an article on your organization. It sounds very interesting. And I said, well, I'm not ready for that yet. And they said, but we have only one question. How do you make any money? Because at the time, it was just $50 per session. And they said, you can't possibly buy equipment, put somebody in a car, send them out to a location, have them there for half an hour during the session, and all of that for $50. And I said, well, it's really not my intention for this to be a, a profit-making business. Uh, my my plan is for it to be a nonprofit. So mm-hmm. um, what we're doing is we're charged the first visit in every case is free. And then if the family would like to continue the visits, then it, en- it works out to be about $33 per visit. You know, you can buy one one session for $49, but no one buys one session. So on the other hand, we don't want people to have to sign up for a year contract to do it. So we said, well, why don't you buy visits three at a time? If you buy three visits, it's $99, so it ends up being $33 per visit, and you can use them over whatever period of time. Some people like to visit every week. Some people like to visit once a month, and uh, so they're spending $99, and they're getting three visits. Okay. very Well, that's a very reasonable. And then if somebody wants them recorded, is there an additional fee at all for that? There's an additional fee of $50 and it's it's not just for a, uh, a straight recording but it's an edited recording so the, the video um, session itself gets edited and then a title gets added and then a music track gets added and then it gets downloaded onto a DVD and then shipped to wherever the person lives so that's $50 Wow, okay, very, uh, very very reasonable, very reasonable and Rick, the fact that we're using 
the fact that we're using the, you know volunteers for the facilitators and so forth is one of the ways that helps us keep our costs down as well. Sure, sure. Rick, did you want to um, add anything? I'm I'm just like I said, this is going to be a. I'm, I'm just glad he's doing this service for people that. Uh, I mean, uh, just I, I keep going back to memory. People, we have so many people all over the United States that that are long distance caregivers. You know, and it, and it happens a lot. And uh, this is for people to be able to do this is just a. It's just a win win situation. Yeah, it's it's very um, it's very incredible. Tom, can you tell us um, what was your biggest surprise or maybe compliment that you you've uh, seen or or gotten um, since you've been doing this service? Yeah, I, I think the biggest surprise is how um, how much it was appreciated by the families themselves. I did this for the older clients, and in the beginning, I did it for myself because I got a lot out of facilitating the sessions, but. I started hearing from the families about how meaningful it was to them. You know, a granddaughter who grew up near her grandmother but had moved away because she got a job and so forth, didn't see her grandmother so often, and then got to see her. And um, so many people from the families just saying that, that this was valuable. I knew I was onto something when I was, I did a lot with the Mayo Clinic when I was in healthcare publishing and. Um, as I spoke to people at the Mayo Clinic and at their Transform Conference, the speakers there, the reaction was always the same. First, like, this is a great idea. You need to do this. The second um, sentence was, I wish I had this for my own family. And they tell me a story about something in their own family where I wish I had someone on the other end to do this for someone because I would love to be able to video chat with them. And uh, so... I mean, that's what we're doing for now. It's, when you think about the time and cost of getting on a plane and flying to visit um, you know, a loved one and so forth, um, you know, many people don't have the time or don't have the money, and we make it so easy to be right there in the room. So it's, it's that uh, service to the families, which was the biggest surprise for me. Okay. Um, what, in terms of... of um your service. What could Rick and I do to to help you? Because um, I think he's on board, and I know I'm on board in terms of um, <laughs> helping you spread the word. Sure. Well, um, you know, we do have a website. Um, it's a it's a basic website. Right now we're working on 2.0, but um, it's uh, visiting dash hours and hours is o u r s. There's no h in hours. Uh, dot com. Um, so certainly helping me get the website out there, which tells people how to how to contact me. Um, we are um, we're applying for our 501c3 charitable organization status from the IRS um, this month. Finally finished all of that paperwork. So um, certainly in the interim, it could be um, a few months before the IRS gives us our our tax exempt status. The ability to apply for grants um, is limited if you don't already have that. So we're looking for uh, fiscal sponsors. Those would be existing 501c3 organizations who would support our mission of bringing families and generations closer. And uh, basically, we could jointly apply for a grant with them. That would be a big help to know that there would be some some funding sources that we would be able to apply for sooner rather than later by using a fiscal sponsor. Um, and just, I guess, encouraging members to contact me if they're uh, if they have um, uh, people with Alzheimer's in the Twin Cities area. Um, that's the area that we're serving right now. Uh, I'd be happy to to help them. 
Okay. And is there a, a phone number at all you'd like to give out to people, or do you want them just to go to the website and contact you that way? Is that the you know, easiest? All the contact information is on the is on the website, so it's visiting-ours.com, and uh, my email address and phone number and everything is there. Okay. And um, could someone get a hold of you via Skype? Yes. Uh, my Skype address is visiting-ours. Okay. Great. Just in case I want to check it out, I thought we might as well give you a plug for that. Well, this has just been absolutely fascinating. I just think what you're doing is um, is, is absolutely wonderful, Tom, and I will uh, do an article up and um, promote it and push it out through the Alzheimer's Speaks blog, and uh, we'll be tweeting and twittering um, about this. And I would encourage any of our listeners to help push this out. This is just a really, really neat thing, and it's you know it's a something that you can email this episode, you can like it on Facebook. There's all different types of ways that you can um, help Tom, you know, spread the word about video conferencing through visiting ours, and that's again visiting dash and then O U R S. Um, that would be wonderful. We would appreciate uh, your help and support because again. None of us can change the world alone. We're we're all in this together. So thank you so much for your time today, Tom. Is there any last comments you want to you want to make to the audience, or? Well, the last comment would be um, if you have a loved one who's in a, a memory facility, to tell the memory facility that this is a service that you want, um, and that you need it to be assisted. That um, it's not enough to just have the equipment there, that, that you need a facilitator each time to help your loved one um, participate in video chat. I think that if more facilities hear from families that they want this service, then more facilities will offer it. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Rick, any last comments for Tom before I let him go? Oh, maybe Rick's not with us anymore. We'll see here. Um, well, thank you so much, Tom. Again, you're doing a fantastic job and very much appreciate all all the work. Um, and I'm so I'm so proud to have you on the show. It was wonderful, wonderful My having pleasure. you. Thank you. Um, thank on you. the let's see, on May 30th, um, I'm going to have Sumner Richard uh, Richmond with us and. He is a spouse who is dealing with his wife uh, who has Alzheimer's disease. And then on June 4th, Marlene Schoenberg is going to be with us talking about swallowing safely and lifestyle choices. And that's really going to be quite interesting because people, when they get in their their end stages, uh, sometimes um, have a difficult time swallowing. And she just has some great, great information about how to swallow safely. And then on... um, June 5th, Mary McGrath and Angela Taylor with the Louis Body Association will be with us, and they're going to talk about love, Louis Body, and laughter. And then on June 7th, um, I'm going to have Bailey Washoff uh, with us, and she is a teenager, and she's going to talk about what it's like to have, you know, be young, be 13, and have your, your dad get diagnosed with dementia. So I think We've got some very, very interesting shows coming up, and I hope that you'll all be able to join us um, in the future. And again, if you can't come live, you can always listen to the archives afterwards. Also, I would like to throw out, if anyone here um, listening is memory impaired or knows of someone who is memory impaired and in their early stages who might want their voice to be heard, I would love to hear from them. Uh, We are always looking. 
Okay, I'm back again. I'm not quite sure what happened to our connection, but my phone just totally bumped me out, which was very strange. So apologize for that. Anyways, everybody have a wonderful week. And again, we'll be back again tomorrow with another show. And thank you all for joining us. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.